Hi, my name is Diana, and as we've been going through this series, we are reading each psalm as a call and response. Please stand as we read through Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who greatly delight in God's commandments. Wealth and riches are in their house, and their righteousness endures forever. It is well with those who dwell, deal generously and lend, who conduct their affairs with justice. They are not afraid of evil tidings. Their hearts are firm, trusting in the Lord. They have distributed freely. They have given to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their strength is exalted in honor. And together, praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who greatly delight in God's commandments. The word of the Lord. Let's remain standing as we pray. Gracious God, we ask that today as we listen to your scriptures being taught, that Lord, that you would help me, help the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. And Lord, for all of us, by your Holy Spirit, Would you cause us to see Jesus? Would you cause us to live lives that glorify the Father in heaven? And would you cause us to embrace the work that you are doing in us by your Spirit, we pray. In Christ's name, and everybody said, amen. You may be seated. When we got together to decide which psalms we should include in the series, it was sort of a team effort. Uh, Pastor Jason mentioned earlier that uh, we are one of the six congregations of New Life Church, and so... Uh, For the four English-speaking congregations, a number of the teaching pastors uh, get together and we kind of talk through the series. And so last fall, we were talking about this psalm series and, uh, and we were throwing out different psalms. Well, Psalm 112 was not one that I chose. And I think I should be upfront with you that even a few weeks ago when I saw that Psalm 112 was coming... I started to dread it because I don't very much, or I, sh- I should say, I did not at first like this psalm. And I thought Psalm 112 just sort of seemed to be saying in a very almost cliched way, well, good things happen to good people, so be good. And I thought, well, that's not true. And we all know people in life that have lived good lives and, and seen things fall apart. And so I had this sort of reaction to Psalm 112 and said, this, this can't be true. And I just, I want to be honest with you because maybe you've read scriptures and had that thought. Maybe you've read something and thought, yeah, is that really, how could this be? And in those moments, what the Lord invites us to do is not to distance ourselves from the Word of God, but rather to lean in and to look a little bit more closely and, and wrestle a little more and say, well, what's really going on here? And the closer I looked at Psalm 112, the, the more I realized this is not a song written by people who were experiencing life at the top of their game. This is not a song written by people who were posting on their Insta stories, hashtag blessed. 
Okay? This is not a song written by people whose whole lives were up and to the right, baby, and everything was just working out good. This was a song written by people who were trying to rebuild after the ruins. Psalm 112 is a prayer for rebuilding out of the ruins. And here's why I say that. A few weeks ago, Pastor Jason helped us to see that these psalms, whenever, regardless of when they were written, they were compiled in books. They were compiled in five books. And each book sort of corresponds or, or likely corresponds with a season in Israel or Judah's life, those two parts of the people of God. And so book one is David's rise, then book two is David's reign. And most of your Bibles will tell you book one, book two, they'll tell you where the divisions are. Book three, Judah's fall. Book four, Judah's exile. This is the first psalm that we are studying that happens to be in book five. I think book five begins in 107, but this is our first psalm of the series that is in book five. And book five is Judah's return from exile. Some of you may know this story, but even if you don't know the details of it, roughly what happened is the people, Israel get, gets divided in two halves. This, the northern part that keeps the name Israel, the southern part that takes on the name Judah. Uh, Israel gets scattered by the Assyrians in, in 722 BC and then right around 586 BC, because it's BC, it's actually later, even though the number's smaller. They get taken away by Babylon, and they're living in Babylon for some 70 years and then begin to return. And Psalm 112, they say, this is what you pray when you have to rebuild from the ruins. Now, I don't know if you've experienced seasons in your life where you've thought, oh my God, help me, where do I go from here? I don't know if you've experienced the kinds of moments where things have just unraveled so deeply that you're looking at the rubble and you're saying, what do I even do now? Psalm 112 is a prayer to pray in those moments. I was reminded this week of a story that happened about eight years ago on August 5th, 2010, a mine in Chile, South America, collapsed. And it trapped 33 miners underground, about a half a mile underground, living in absolute darkness. I mean, can you even imagine? And they were trapped underground for 69 days. It's the longest time anybody's ever been trapped underground. 33 Chilean miners trapped underground for 69 days. Just to give you a sense, August 5th, the mine collapsed. It was mid-October before the first miner was rescued. I mean, can you fathom that? What'd you do last fall? Oh, well, you know, <laughs> stuck underground for 69 days. That, it was a horrific experience. And I know many of you followed the story as it, as it unfolded all around the world. When they were rescued, these miners then appeared as guests on some talk shows here in America, the, 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 the greatest soccer club in the world, Manchester United, invited them to be guests at one of their matches in England. I, I don't know if you care, but they won today, 2-1. Um, <laughs> they were given, they were guests on Disney cruises, they were take, given free vacations to Greek islands, visits to the Holy Land, and then a, a journalist did a story about these miners five years later. Where are these guys? Five years later. And they discovered that all of these miners were still as poor as before. Some of them were even worse off. Some of them had tried different careers and failed. Many of them had, had succumbed to alcoholism and drug addiction. 
Many of them are on antidepressants and they suffer severe nightmares and flashbacks. Even the guy who kept the group together and in good spirits, you remember his name was Mario and they nicknamed him Super Mario. And Mario in this interview five years later said, actually, I'm dealing with depression. And Mario said, people saw the pictures of the rescue and they thought our hell was over, but in fact, it was just beginning. We were simple working men who went down a mine and came up to a circus, and then the world forgot about us. And I was reminded of this story because it's one thing to survive the darkness, it's another thing to live in the light. It's one thing to survive the darkness, it's another thing to live in the light. Israel survived the exile, they, they made it, we made it from Babylon, we're alive, we're together, we've got families, we've come back to Jerusalem, now what do we do? Now how do we live? It's one thing to survive the darkness. It's another thing to live in the light. And the question, maybe one of the questions that haunts us as we look at burned brick after burned brick and, and debris and rubble all around us in our lives, maybe the, one of the questions that haunts us is, is there any order in the cosmos? Is there any order in the universe? Is there any rhyme or reason to anything and maybe you're saying, okay, look, as I try to go forward here after a divorce or after a death or after an illness or after I've lost a job, or after, is, there any, is there even any order in the universe? Is it all just random? It's like the, the agnostic who said to me one day, he said, you know, my best theory about God is that he was a mad scientist and made a bunch of stuff that got out of his control. And, it, and he kind of laughed when he said it because he knew it sounded a little absurd. And I said, oh, I understand why you'd say that. Uh, I said, on the other hand, then beauty becomes your problem, not pain, right? But, but the question that we wrestle with in the ruins is, is there even any order in the cosmos? And Psalm 112 begins to answer that in its very form. This is a poem. It's a song. It's a prayer written in poetry. And I don't know if your Bible shows you this, but even in my English translation, it shows me the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, Psalm 112 is written as an acrostic. Now, for us as Americans, the only times we do anything alphabetically or as an acrostic typically is like a Dr. Seuss book or something, you know, uh, a alligator, alley, alley, alligator, or whatever, you know. We, we think all this stuff is kind of childish, but actually in the Hebrew way of instructing and imparting wisdom, an acrostic was a way of saying there is order in the world. As I try to impart wisdom to you, I want you to know in the very form of this poem, there is order in the world. And so some of the best poems in the scripture that are trying to show us the ordering of the world by God's wisdom come in an acrostic. Psalm 119 is an acrostic. The entire book of Lamentations, each chapter is a cycle through the alphabet. Chapter 1, 2, Three, four, are four passes through the Hebrew alphabet. And then I like it. I love how chapter 5 is the alphabet all jumbled up. It's the author's way, and Lamentations, again, is another book after exile. It's the author's way of saying sometimes when you're rebuilding from the ruins, you're hanging on to structure, but once in a while, everything is just a mess. And you can't, you just, ah, God. But Psalm 112, in its very form, is showing us that there is order. So look at these first six verses. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. Those who honor the Lord, who adore God's commandments, are truly happy, are blessed. Their descendants will be strong throughout the land. The offspring of those who do right will be blessed. 
Wealth and riches will be in their houses. Their righteousness stands forever. They shine in the dark for others who do right. They are merciful, compassionate, and righteous. Those who lend generously are good people, as are those who conduct their affairs with justice. Yes, these sorts of people will never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. Now, maybe in listening to this, you may not have caught this, but in these very first six verses, the psalmist is taking people back to the way God has ordered the world. And there are two words that appear in these first six verses that are the very beating heart of what Israel knew about what it meant to live in God's world. And it's the word righteousness and the word justice. Someone say righteousness. Righteousness. Someone say justice. Righteousness and justice. And throughout the scriptures, these two words belong together. In fact, in Hebrew, it's the tzedakah and the mishpat. And they go together, the mishpat and the tzedakah, the tzedakah and the mishpat, the righteousness and the justice, justice and righteousness. And I'll show you in a moment how they all belong together. But look at verse 3 through 6, and look at how many times these words show up. Wealth and riches will be in their house. Their righteousness stands forever. They shine in the dark for others who do right. They are merciful, compassionate, and righteous. Those who lend generously are good people, as are those who conduct their affairs with justice, the mishpat. Yes, these sorts of people will never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. These words are meant to go together. Psalm 112 is a little bit like when my son has destroyed his Star Wars Lego. And I, you know, I, I'm, I'm like, buddy, what happened to the X-Wing, you know? And he's like, ah, I wanted to build something else, you know? And because I've watched the Lego movie, I know not to be uptight about never undoing things, you know? It's okay. But once in a while, you're like, but where's the, where's the booklet? Like, do you know how to rebuild this? Like, where, let's go find the Lego booklet so that we can rebuild it, right? That, that's what Psalm 12 is saying. You want to rebuild your life out of the ruins? Go back to righteousness and justice. Let's pull out the Lego booklet. Let's go back to righteousness and justice. Is there order in the cosmos? Yes. Yes, Psalm 112 says, and not only yes, but God has ordered the world by righteousness and justice. Not only is there order, it's an order that is right and just. Righteousness and justice. And justice. Listen to a few times this shows up in the Old Testament. Proverbs, another one of the wisdom imparting kind of books. The wise man says, The Lord laid the foundations of the earth with wisdom, establishing the heavens with understanding. In other words, there's an order to this thing, there's a design to this thing, there's a purpose to this thing. And then you say, Yeah, but you know, someone else, another agnostic might say, Well, okay, fine, there's an order, but it's an evil order. It's an order of oppression. No, no, no. The Psalms, Psalm 89 says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. The tzedakah and the mishpat are the foundation of your throne. God, you're not just sovereign, you're righteous and just. One of the things that is different about the Jewish and Christian view of God that's, that's different from the Muslim view of God. The Muslim view of God is, oh, he's just sovereign, so just submit, submit, submit to the sovereign. And the Jewish vision and the Christian vision says he's not just sovereign, he's righteous. And he's not just righteous, he's just. And he's not just just, he's loving. And he's not just loving, he's faithful. 
right? And so Psalm 89 says, it's good to know that God is king, but it's also good to know what kind of king he is. He's the king who has righteousness and justice as the very foundation of his throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go out from before you. God has ordered the world with righteousness and justice. So what does that mean for us? Why does that matter to us? I want to say to us this morning two things. God's ordering of the cosmos with righteousness and justice is both a commission and a comfort. Now I know this is a little bit like classroomish this morning. I got two things that I want you to see, but, but if you're taking notes, you can take this down, write this down. God's ordering of the world with righteousness and justice, there's a commission, there's a calling that's connected to this, and there's a comfort that's connected to this. Let's take the first part. Why is this a commission? For the Old Testament, for the people of God, it went all the way back to Abraham, Genesis 18, when God called Abraham. He said to Abraham, he said, I've chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. Why? Because God's a fussy little fusspot who makes arbitrary rules just so he can get kind of legalistic and stuff? No. The way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. God's saying, look, Abraham, the sin of humanity is bringing unrighteousness and injustice, and it's messing up the world. I want you to start to introduce righteousness and justice. I want you to start reordering the chaos. It goes all the way back to Abraham. Then Proverbs 21, wisdom again. The wise man says, Acting with righteousness and justice is more valued by the Lord than sacrifice. I love this. Do you think they might have hung on to this when they were living in Babylon? When they didn't have their shiny temple? I mean, imagine if the day ever came, so we have no church buildings, we have no songs anymore, we have no worship music, we have no Christian books, we have no Christian movies, we got nothing to do anymore, I don't even know how we're going to survive. And the word of the Lord, the wise man says, you still have righteousness and justice. You may not have the temple, you may not have the land, you may not have cultural power, you may not be looked to for advice, you may not be highly regarded, you may be persecuted by all your peers, but you still have righteousness and justice. It's better than sacrifice. Even when you lose the sacrificial system, you still have the chance to be righteous and just. And then Jeremiah, he's the prophet, last one here. Jeremiah is the prophet during the time of exile, during, as they're being carried off into exile. If, you're, if you want to know how did things go wrong, read the book of Jeremiah one day. But, but just keep in mind, it's a sad story. And, and this prophet, he's sometimes called the weeping prophet because he's been tasked with the, un, he's been given the unenviable task of telling God's people, yeah, it's not going to go good. All the other prophets are like, peace, peace. They're on TV with shiny suits. Jeremiah's like in chains, and he's like, no, it's not going to be peace. Not going to be prosperity either. And they're like, stone him. But Jeremiah 22, he says, the Lord proclaims, do what is just and right. There it is again, the mishpat and the sedekah. And then, in case you're wondering, okay, what, what does it look like? What is justice and righteousness? Rescue the oppressed from the power of the oppressor. Don't exploit or mistreat the refugee, the orphan, and the widow. Don't spill the blood of the innocent in this place. Now leave this up here for a minute. That's quite a list. That's quite a description, isn't it, of what justice and righteousness looks like. We're trying to take that seriously at New Life Church. 
We're trying to take seriously every one of these things. That's why several years ago we began the women's clinic so that women can go and get healthcare at any stage of their life between 18 and 65. That's why we, we've, we have, thanks to the donations of uh, other organizations, we've been able to have ultrasound machines that has rescued the lives of babies who've still been in utero, that have said, don't be scared, we will give you the care. That's why we believe in adoption. That's why we work with the foster system. That's why we have Royal Family Kids Camp every summer, where we help to, to show God's love to children in the foster system. That's why we go and mentor at Queen Palmer Elementary, one child, one hour a week, because we believe in doing justice and righteousness. It's also, it's also why we name the names of innocent blood that has been shed. It's why we're aware of hundreds of thousands of babies that are aborted every year. It's why we rise up when we see a government in Syria using poison gas on his own people and 500,000 citizens are murdered. That's why we care. It's why we care when Trayvon Martin was killed. It's why we care when Stefan Clark, a school teacher with a cell phone, was shot 10 times for doing nothing wrong other than being black. It's why we care about baby Alfie Evans in the United Kingdom, a baby who the government is saying needs to be forced, taken off of life support. We are people who don't define our issues based on political, partisan talking points. We are people shaped by justice and righteousness. Shaped by justice and righteousness. Not shaped, well, that fits with my campaign. Well, that fits with my group. That fits with my party. No, no. Does it fit with righteousness and justice? If it does, I'm in. I'm in with that. I got to speak for that. And that's what Jeremiah is saying. Do what is just and right. God's order in the cosmos is a commission because it says to us, you are supposed to try to live with the grain of the universe. There is a flow to how this works, and you're supposed to try to live with the grain of the universe by doing justice and righteousness. Some of us want justice because it's so hot right now. It's so popular, but we don't want anything to do with righteousness. Like, well, I don't know about what God says about, you know, sexual ethics, and I don't know what God says about, you know, marriage. I mean, but I love justice. And the prophets say justice and righteousness belong together. And others of us, we want righteousness. Oh, personal holiness. Oh, I love righteousness. Love me some righteousness. But we don't want to have anything to do with justice. Let's not rock the boat. Let's not speak up. Let's not, uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's their issue. It's not my issue. Uh. And the prophet says, don't you turn an eye to injustice. Don't you, don't you give a deaf ear to the cries of the oppressed. Put justice and righteousness together. And here's the other thing about this. We tend to privatize our understanding of justice and righteousness. Listen, I believe in personal responsibility, but do you know that we don't live in a vacuum? We live in a community. And so our individual choices actually have social and communal consequences. And that's what the Hebrew prophets say over and over again. You think it's all okay because it's good in your palace, oh, you kings and you fat cows of Bashan. Amos, man, he didn't hold back. 
You think it's all good because it's all good in your neck of the woods. Meanwhile, and the prophets say, you, you can't privatize these things. They actually belong together. A couple years ago, I read J.D. Vance's memoir, Hillbilly Elegy. It's about growing up in uh, Ohio and Kentucky and, and kind of the Rust Belt communities. And he talked about the poverty of those areas. And, and one of the things Vance describes is how in his community, nobody knew how to get out. Nobody knew how to change the story. Nobody had any friends who were doing something else. They were all doing the same things. And so there was a cycle of poverty connected to addictions, connected to abuse, connected to a lack of education, and on and on it went. It described people giving babies Mountain Dew just to just down it because they thought it was like orange juice or good for them, and rotting teeth, just, just all kinds of, just stuck in a cycle. And it's Vance himself responds to a Marine recruiter and joins the Marines and for the first time in his life understands that you can be disciplined, you can make different choices, you are strong, you're able. And then he ends up getting a, a, um, going to college at Ohio State and then from there goes to Yale Law. And he's like, what am I doing in Yale Law? And then he discovers there's a whole group of people that are living differently than my community. And he starts to realize, wait, wait a minute, nobody told me this or that. And all of a sudden he realizes that without the right networks and social capital, you're stuck in the loop. And that's what the psalmist is saying. He's like, look, justice and righteousness matters because injustice and unrighteousness creates a destructive loop and cycle that's very hard for whole communities to break out of. And you can kind of give bread to the hungry, but if you don't undo the structures and the cycles of injustice and, and, and unrighteousness, people are going to fall, fall back into those traps, right? The flip side of this a couple years ago, right before our October City Serve event, some pa the pastors in Colorado Springs organized a lunch, and Mayor John Southers came and spoke to a group of about 50 pastors or so downtown in one of these restaurants here. And I got to share just a couple words. A number of other pastors shared a couple words, and someone asked the mayor, he said, Mayor, what, after we were done, we were standing around a group of uh, three or four of us, he said, Mayor, what is it that we can do to help make Colorado Springs a better community? He said, you know, one of the best things you can do is help people have strong marriages and good families. Help them raise their kids well. And why he, he said that, because he just understands, look, as much as we don't like to be like, hey, good things happen to good people, there is enough truth in saying that justice and righteousness produce good things for everybody. And injustice and unrighteousness produce bad things for everybody. So it's a commission to us to say, wherever you find yourself, Live with justice and righteousness, and that might look like attending to your marriage. That might look like attending to your children, and it might look like serving in a school, mentoring a child. It might even look like listening to the stories of pain and other people's experiences of injustice. It might look like changing the narrative, the singular narrative that you've had about injustice and racism. It might mean being willing to say that. So that's how it's a commission. How is it a comfort? How, how is God's ordering of you? How does Psalm 112 give us comfort? I think it gives us comfort because it tells us what's going to happen with wickedness and evil in the world. It tells us 
what God will do about it in the end. Psalm 112, verse 7 says, they won't be frightened at bad news. Their hearts are steady, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are firm. They aren't afraid. In the end, they will witness their enemy's defeat. Oh, man. In the end. In the end. Psalm 1 began this whole journey, this whole collection of psalms. Psalm 1 said, look, the righteous will flourish and the the wicked will perish. And then you're like, well, it hasn't quite always been that way. And by the time you get to Psalm 112, Psalm 112 is Psalm 1 with a little more honesty. (laughs) Psalm 112 is Psalm 1 with a little more, because now they're saying, you know what, there's bad news. You're going to get some bad news in the world. You're going to get bad news in life. It's going to happen. It's part of it. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. It's coming. He says, but you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be frightened. And in the end, they will witness their enemies' defeat. And then he goes on. He says, in the end, they will witness the enemy's defeat. They will give freely to those in need. Their righteousness stands forever. Righteousness and justice are not temporary goods. They're forever. When you participate in righteousness and justice, you're participating in something that is eternal. It will stand forever. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, every work that is done in the Lord will not be in vain. I don't know about other stuff, but if you do work that is participating with righteousness and justice, it will stand forever. And then he says, their strength increases gloriously. Verse 10, the wicked sees all this and fumes. They grind their teeth, but disappear to nothing. What the wicked want to see happen comes to nothing. What the wicked wants to see comes to nothing. See, God's order in the cosmos is a comfort, and here's how. It's a comfort because it reminds us that it will not always be this way. It will not always be this way. In the end, justice and righteousness win. In the end, it will not always be this way. Come on. Amen. In the end, it will not always be this way. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. believed this with all of his heart. And that's why in the midst of his house being attacked, in the midst of church bombings, in the midst of the silence of white churches in the South, if you ever read his letter from a Birmingham jail, you'll know what it feels like on the other side of your silence. It's hard. But the conviction that kept Dr. King going was that he knew what would happen in the end. And so we have this famous quote that says, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. He's not saying this because he just thought the universe just has a bend toward justice. He's not talking about that. If you know Dr. King's theology, if you know his sermons, you know that he's saying this because he believes in the God of justice. He believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Moses, the God who called Israel out of Egypt, the God who established them in the land, the God who called Jesus out of Egypt, the God who raised Jesus from the dead, the God who called his people out of darkness and into light, and the God who will come again in Jesus Christ and set everything new again. Dr. King didn't say this because it was just a nice slogan. He said this because of a theological conviction that God is a God of justice and righteousness. And that in the end, in the end, this is why 
the vision of a persecuted church in the book of Revelation. Their vision of Jesus returning is not Jesus coming on a unicorn with rainbows and butterflies. I mean, sometimes we think that, you know, like, oh, Jesus is so sweet. What a sweet Jesus we have. If, if that, it's only possible to have that view of Jesus when you've had nothing go wrong in your life. That's the view of privilege. But if you've ever experienced injustice, you want the Jesus who comes riding on a horse with a sword. Right? And so the persecuted church, as Rome is smashing them and crushing them and killing them and releasing wild beasts on them, the persecuted church in the book of Revelation says, no, 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 guys, we know how this ends. The one who is faithful and true, the one who on his very sides are inscribed the words true and just, he's coming. And he will execute justice upon the nations, and he will wipe away every tear, and he will cause death to be no more. And when you know what's coming in the end, you're able to make it through the moment. So in the moment, there is pain. But in the end, there will be beauty for ashes. In the moment, there is sorrow. In the end, there will be joy. In the moment, there is death. But in the end, there will be resurrection life. In the moment, the world is being disordered by injustice and wickedness. But in the end, righteousness stands forever. Amen? And so maybe you're here this morning saying, God, I'm trying to rebuild from the ruins. And God, I don't know which brick goes over which, and I don't even know how to start. I want you to take heart this morning. There is still order in the cosmos. There is a God who is on the throne, and the foundations of his throne are righteousness and justice. And God will defend the cause of the needy. And God will hear the cry of the widow. And God will rescue the oppressed. And God will bring about justice. And God will make the righteous stand forever. Amen. So give your lives to righteousness and justice today. Give your life to that. Don't piddle around with, oh, well, I don't know, just kind of ask for forgiveness later. Don't do that. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life contributing to the mess in this world. Can I, can I speak to you that strongly as your pastor this morning? Don't waste your life. Well, I don't know, I just want to do what's fun and pursue pleasure and, da, 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 and we'll see how it all, I mean, it doesn't really affect anyone anyway. Don't believe that lie. It does affect everyone. Be in Colorado Springs a force of righteousness and justice. Be in America a servant of righteousness and justice. Do this. Give your life to that. You want to do something that stands forever? You're a school teacher? Give yourself to righteousness and justice. You're a, a stay-at-home parent? Give yourself to teaching your children righteousness and justice. You, you want to do, you're a business owner? Conduct your affairs with righteousness and justice. Be a force of righteousness and justice in the world. Don't waste your life here. You know, we don't know how long we have. 
But if we're trying to rebuild in the ruins of a world after the fall in the Garden of Eden, then let's rebuild the way God made it to be in the first place. Amen?